0: Hey, um, I was looking at our list, and I was thinking, I, I actually would like to discuss something you brought up last time we talked, which was really, you know, that that kind of when we talked about the treading the fine line between control and chaos. And I just had a a, a phone call with a student, um. And she's struggling with perfectionism. She was saying like, oh, I'm, oh, I just think I'm failing in the course. I don't know what I'm doing. Everyone else knows more than me. And I said, okay, so Is it give me some
1: examples. Cert or dip?
0: Uh, diploma. And then I said, so give me some examples. And she's like, oh, you know, reeled off all these things. Oh, I don't know. You know, I know 99.99999% of everything, but there's this 0.01% that I'm not 100% sure about. But actually I do know it, but I just not sure if I'm correct in my knowledge. And, So she was, she basically, her knowledge was fine, but her self-doubt was, you know, she was basically trying, uh, looking at, is there anyone in this program who seems to know anything more, anything that I don't know about anything, right? Is there anyone who knows more than something, anything about something in, in this program? It's like, oh yeah, there's someone who knows something I don't know. Oh, I must be a failure. So, you know, so she's looking for confirming evidence not disconfirming evidence and it's like well if you look around a large enough group of people you're always going to find someone who knows more than you about a given topic and she had unrealistic expectations about like oh well i couldn't remember every word you said in the lecture verbatim you know instantly therefore you know i'm not very good at this um uh and you know like she was saying things like, I'm doing all of the work. I watch all the lectures. I do all the videos. I do all the quizzes. I do all the practice. I do all the things, you know, but I just don't feel like I'm getting it because, you know, when I did the, yeah, anyway, so she basically her her, her, her self-perception was out of tune with reality. And, you know, she was doing all of the behaviors of someone who's going to succeed wildly in the program. Right, if we made a list, made a list of all the things you should do to be successful, she's like she's already doing them all, um, and so it got me thinking. I think like this is such a, I think this is a much bigger problem in Pilates as a, in the Pilates world, right? And so, where is the, uh, where is the distinct, where what is the distinction between like a healthy striving for excellence and like wanting to be the best you can be and not wanting to do something half fast, versus kind of crippling yourself by overthinking things that you actually do know the answer to and paralysis by analysis and you know, you have to be perfect before you even start to learn, you know, mindset. So what's what's what distinguishes those? And also, obviously, what if anything can we do to, you know, overcome, let go of or manage perfectionism? Yeah. So are you up for Are you up for that conversation?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, both as a student and as a staff. Um, also, I think maybe something that has helped me just kind of honestly just let shit go is really being able to... be very clear in myself about what my role is. And I think that you do a really nice job. You, Adam, and Heath do a really nice job of reminding us all the time is that You're giving us all this information because it's like being over-prepared and then just needing this much builds confidence, right? Like Mm -hmm. knowing all the anatomy, you don't actually need it, but having that is confidence. But at the end of the day, what is our role? Our role is build a connection with our clients, get them moving, and do graded exercise. Like that's it. And those are things that... All of us, we're already doing whether or not we know it. It's just nice to know about what the calcaneus is and the, you know, that the Achilles, you know what I mean? It's just like, at the end of the day, if all you knew how to do was to scale back an exercise, that's like 99% of the work. Yeah. Am I just an underachiever? I don't know. But I got, you know, like I...
0: No, 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 no. Because I think you. <laughs> You're anything but an underachiever. I'm sorry to break it to you.
1: <laughs> but I think that you, that you all do that really, really well. And I think sometimes what people, our students in particular, get caught up in, like you said, I think it's just kind of the overall culture and, and kind of this personality quirk of being a Pilates professional is this idea, this striving towards perfectionism. A- and what people get stuck in both in the diploma and elsewhere is getting stuck in the weeds of all of the information and then forgetting what your role is, that your role is very, very simple. And there's so many things that you already know how to do that don't require you to know the anatomy. I think once you figure that out, like you can really enjoy the ride. But until that point, it's like, it's really difficult because in the diploma, you end up having interface with a lot of people who you think know so much more than you. Like, I used to think that people will ask questions to you all the time, and I'm like, number one, wow, you asked this question. And then later on, I'm like, I don't really care about this. Can we please move on now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, But my first response is like, wow, that's so impressive that you asked that question. Never thought about that. It is intimidating yeah. if you are still stuck in that place of being intimidated.
0: So, what do you think is distinguishes perfectionism? You know, so I thought about you know when we were, when I was thinking about I you know I wanted to talk about this. Thought, well, it's not it's not really my area of expertise, psychology. You know, so I didn't necessarily want to talk. Um, I didn't want to talk about the science on this from myself, but I'm fascinated with it just on a human level. And I know that you're you know because your background is psychology and social science, you, I imagine you've probably got more expertise in this than I do. so
1: not anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't say anymore like I, I can I can I can give you an op-ed about it and you know I kind of keep up with it, but I don't feel qualified to talk about it on anything more than just here's my opinion about it. Um, and my, you know, my Dear own listener,
0: this is not psychological advice. This is just what we reckon. <laughs> All right. That being yeah. said.
1: Well, and it's, it's based on, it's based on our own experiences of both being, you know, colleagues and staff. Like it's, it is really, really common. And, and there is, I mean, if nothing else, we can, we, we are experts in being able to talk about the perfectionism that we see within and without the Pilates industry, there's a lot of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think about it a fair bit and I think, you know, like like you kind of said there, my kind of guiding principle when I'm creating a, a program like The Diploma or even just an Instagram post or a, a podcast episode, any piece of content really, is, is like, what's the 80 20, of knowing this thing, right? So if you wanted to talk about the diploma, it's like rehab, okay, what's the 20% of things you can know about rehab that's going to give you 80% of your results? And let's not agonize about the 80% that's going to give you 20% of your results. Let's just, let's get the big things right. Let's get the basics right. You know, if it was martial arts, it would be footwork. You know, if it was Pilates, it would be like the hundred, (laughs) You know, like what is the, if you, if you know the position of the hundred, you basically know two thirds of them at work, you know, cause it's just the hundred with one leg bent or whatever, you know? um, So, so yeah, what is the 80, 20? What are the things that if you get these things right, doesn't really matter if you get everything else wrong, you can still basically get a pretty good result for most people most of the time. And yeah, so that is a principle for me. And I think that is really, that's, that's, uh, I got that. I mean, 80-20 thinking is a you know, very widespread kind of concept, but it really came home to me in a book by Greg uh, McEwan called Essentialism, uh, which I highly recommend, and that has influenced me a lot. But let's start back at the start, and you know, I think I'd like to have your view on what what is the difference, but or what are the differences between perfectionism, which I would see as an unhealthy. Obsession with being perfect, and probably like being paralysed by, like, that. Like my sister in law uh, speaks pretty fluent German, uh, but when she went to Germany, she wouldn't speak German because she wasn't sure her accent was perfect. So she literally didn't speak a word of German. She was in Germany for several months and didn't. And she could have come back completely fluent, you know, but she she didn't because she refused to speak it even though she already was almost fluent so yeah to me that kind of epitomizes perfectionism is it like it actually holds it's the it actually holds you back from from you know getting better but like what are whereas like a healthy striving for for excellence it's like there's i think that's a good thing right like wanting to be the best you can be and working hard for that and leaving no stone unturned you know to to be to be the best you can be i th- i think that's admirable and that's a positive thing so like how do you tell the difference like what did do where does one start and the other end
1: well i think in general i mean i i learned about this kind of stuff in psychology you know dinosaur ages ago but the way that it was framed to us is that there's always a continuum of a behavior. There's one end of the spectrum and the other. And we always wanna try to swing kind of in the middle and being at either end is not healthy. And so I think in terms of like the difference between striving for excellence and striving for perfection is the more you start to veer towards striving to perfection, it becomes more psychologically distressing. Like it, it's debilitating. It's distressing, right? Like it's the difference between, for instance, feeling sad to being mm. clinically depressed. Feeling being clinically depressed is feeling sad in a way that is distressing and debilitating, and you cannot live a functional life. Um, and um, yeah, I think there. It is, seems there to is me though difference. that there's
0: more than just a quantitative difference. It's more than just a matter of like perfectionism is just like healthy striving for excellence taken too far it's it seems to me that there's a, a a difference in mindset there somehow where like I'm thinking about you know if we're talking about extremes like' someone like an Olympic athlete right imagine a diver, an Olympic diver just the absolute level of obsessive you know drive to be perfect that must be involved in in becoming an an Olympic level, diver you know you just do absurd amounts of practice and honing of your skill but and I'm sure that that has psychological costs and those people live a very imbalanced life in many ways but I would still consider like that would be like the end point of like healthy striving for perfectionism taking to the extreme and it's not not something that I think is necessarily you know going to lead to a healthy emotional life for that person, but it leads to very, very high performance, right? Whereas I think perfectionism, as I'm kind of thinking of it, is, has many, has a lot of overlap with that, but doesn't lead to high performance because it actually paralyzes people and stops them from, I'm not going to practice because the first time I practice and I don't get it right, that means I'm no good. So, so, So there is – how 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 would you tease out that distinction?
1: Well, I think people react in many different ways, right? Like I do think that there are some people who unhealthily practice to the point where they crack, and then there are people who become really paralyzed. I think those are all possible options and ways Mm -hmm. that you could react. Like, I I mean, I'm thinking of Simone Biles. You know, like she – had to take a break. And I'm glad that she did because she's doing even better now, right? But, um, yeah, I see what you're saying is that for some people, they become so paralyzed with fear and that perfectionism makes them quit. That is, I think that's really common to see that. Um, There's actually someone on Instagram. I want to say that her name is Dr. Jen Gunter. I follow her because I feel like I'm a recovering perfectionist quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, she... She's somebody who I would recommend following because she has really, she, she puts out a lot of great content and she, she puts out a lot of inspirational memes about, you know, like, here's how you should go about your life. If you're a recovering perfectionist, Uh, I I don't know that I answered your question, but I, I, I think maybe there are many different ways that perfectionists operate in the world. And one of them is not doing anything at all because that's just a better solution than doing something but then i also think there are people who crack people who will push themselves to the ultimate limits and then they have a nervous breakdown or a physical breakdown
0: right okay so it's it's the same kind of engine but drive it you kind of go people going different directions depending on other kind of factors in their personality or history or or whatever
1: i think so That's my own personal opinion. I guess
0: when I think about this in a less extreme context, so if we sort of move away from the edge cases like Simone Biles, uh, et cetera. uh, and and I, and when I think about this in the context of my impression of a lot of people in the Pilates world is, I think just about universally Pilates instructors are highly motivated to be the best they can be. And, uh, you know, really don't want to do a thing half-assed. You know, if they're going to do something, they want to really do it well and they want to know that they know their stuff. I mean, I'd be pretty shocked if there's a Pilates instructor anywhere in the world who wouldn't self-identify as what I just said there. And certainly if you're listening to this show, you know, that describes you because like, Well, here you are listening to a freaking Pilates podcast, you know, (laughs) instead (laughs) of watching. When
1: you could be doing anything else.
0: (laughs) Right. Instead of watching Housewives of Orange County or whatever. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, so I think that is a kind of a universal, and I think that's universally an admirable thing, right? I think it's a, a positive thing for people's psychological health as well, because one of those human needs, whether you're thinking about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy or some other kind of self-actualization paradigm. It's like the need for mastery, you know, in life. When I say mastery, I don't mean mastery over other people. I mean like being good at something, you know, feeling like you, you, you know, your stuff and you're able to actually create or be productive somehow that actually makes a difference in the world because you're really good at what you do. I mean, I think this is a fairly fundamental human drive and so i think that's a healthy in my view that's a healthy thing to want to be the best you can be at whatever it is that you're you've chosen to do in life but i i guess i see a lot of people uh that being that kind of healthy drive being i guess kind of channeled through you know a, a, a sort of a perfectionist uh, in in a direction of perfectionism that basically means people never get past the the big the beginner level or or like i guess yeah i'm, I'm i guess i'm struggling to put this in, to, to articulate this but i think it, it it i see a lot of people who feel like they need to know almost everything there is to know about a thing, like they don't, yeah, I guess that's it. People feel like, okay, there are things about this topic that I don't know yet, therefore I can't take action on this, you know? It's like, okay, well, you could probably do like a whole PhD on the hand position in the hundred and still not know everything there is to know about it. So there's basically an in, I mean I've met I met someone who once who did a PhD mechanical engineering on the wear rate of different sized ball bearings in this one particular machine in this highly specialized industrial setting right so their PhD was just so unbelievably specialized <laughs> and you know, there's, there's just like, there's essentially an infinite amount to know about any topic. It's not possible to know everything on any, no matter how narrow you make the topic. So, you know, if you look around for things you don't know on a topic, it's like, you're always going to find stuff. And I, th- I think people, uh, a lot of the time in Pilates, f- obsess about the things they don't know on a topic and don't go, and don't sort of see like, oh yeah, well, sure, I'd, I don't know a lot on this topic, but I know enough to really make a difference for people. And so I'm just going to go out there and start doing stuff and, you know, see what works. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Yeah. How do, do you say it differently to that? Or can you articulate it any clearer than that?
1: Well, I was thinking about how sometimes it, being able to define your role and being clear with your role, I think, has. Is helpful you know i am also i have a lot of perfectionist tendencies i am somebody who wants to get it right heath and i were having a discussion about it and he was describing uh, someone that he knows where he would give this person a project and she would just spend hours and hours and hours just doing it and redoing it and i'm like are you talking about me <laughs> is that me is that me because <laughs> i would do that like i just want to get it just right right? So I still do things like that. But I think when it comes to Pilates, one thing that really helped me was that, um, I stopped, I fully gave up the idea of being the expert in the room, 100%. I am only 50% of the relationship between me and the client. And being able to know that means that I never have to ever be the person in the room who knows all the answers. I'm, just getting really comfortable with saying I don't know and not and, and feeling like rather than being the expert, I'm always learning something. So if I don't know something, it's just a moment for me to learn about it. But I feel like there was a period in, in my life as a Pilates teacher where I, I was either led to believe or I believed that I needed to be the person in the room who knew everything, who knew every muscle and joint and ligament. And then what to do with all those things when somebody came in and a muscle joint or ligament wasn't working correctly.
0: How then do you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I think I was going to say, I think what really helped me was, well, it was a lot of things. But one of the things that I think is really helpful, being a diploma student, being in the breed diploma, is realizing how simple rehabilitation is. And not even rehabilitation. Rehabilitation is a tricky word, especially in places like the United States where rehabilitation is is reserved for people who have some sort of tie with the medical field, right? So like if you can bill for insurance, you can say that you do clinical or you you do rehab. And um, if I were to say that I have my clinical Pilates certificate with Breathe or diploma, or if I said I did rehab, I would, get in trouble here in the United States. However, rehab as we know it as graded exercise to restore strength, range of motion, and control. Like, it's simple. It's really, really easy. And also knowing how I can scale exercises to the person in front of me, and then also knowing that it is absolutely fine and even good to say to the person, what what do you think you need right now? That's from Phoebe, by the way. <laughs> Phoebe Hayhoe. Um to be able to say what do you think you need right now and giving the client permission to be part of that collaboration it just it just makes life really easy you know mm. i don't i don't need to know anything about the person coming in until they're in front of me and then we can work on it together it took a really long time for me to get to that place
0: i'd like to explore the the boundary between these two concepts that you talked about so the first one is like what is perfectionism? The second one is, how can you let go of it? A- and well, in between there is, how do you recognize it? Because I think, uh, in, a, in my experience, a lot of people I've talked to who struggle with perfectionism, uh, over years, I've realized that this is a struggle for them. But a lot of the time, it's not obvious to the person. They don't say, oh, I'm a perfectionist, I'm overthinking this. They say, "Oh, I don't understand this topic, or I I need to know more, or you know, I struggle with it, you know, anatomy or Pilates repertoire or teaching skills or whatever it might be." They'll see it as a as a lack of skill on their part, rather than, "No, actually, my skills are fine, and I'm just I've got my expectations are unrealistic." So, how do you? It's a lack how, of
1: confidence. So, how can somebody?
0: Yeah. It's lack of confidence. So how can somebody recognize those, you know, how do you tell like, all right, so if you think you're not good enough, because it is the case that sometimes people just need more skill. So, so how can you tell? So this is not a blanket recommendation of like, oh, if you think you're not good enough, it's not true. You are good enough. Just go and do the thing. Right. Sometimes, no, you actually do need to learn more about a topic and get more skill. And sometimes you can make an accurate uh, assessment and go, actually, yeah, no, my skills aren't very good good in this area, right? So that can be a real thing. So how can you distinguish, how can someone distinguish, like if you're in your own head and going, I'm not good enough at this thing, right? How can you tell if that's real or if that's just your mind messing with you?
1: Oh, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I think for me, I can only speak from my own experience. I have worked long enough with people in a hospital setting where they have a lot of special needs. But I have seen for myself their transformations and their progress. So whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is they're doing is working and that's enough for me. Um, But I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say for people how to make that distinction I think it's easier if they can get through to the other side. But yeah, I know what you're saying. The problem is helping to usher people who are struggling with it right now, right? So what I was thinking about, um, you know, I don't, work, I don't work in the diploma where we cover so many more, um, so much more in-depth anatomy and special conditions and biomechanics, but in the CERT, for instance, this happens a lot in module four, where we talk about people who come in with chronic pain and injury. And at Breathe, our strategy for working with people who come in with chronic pain and injury, first of all, is to know the difference between pain and tissue damage. So that's one thing we teach you, is like you can have pain without tissue damage, you can have tissue damage without pain, and we need to be able to know the difference. Being able to determine whether a client who's coming in with pain is has tissue damage and is within tissue healing times so if you, if you can do those things, you are already, you know, like well ahead of the general Pilates instructor population. And then beyond that, the other thing that makes a huge difference is to be able to layer exercises so that every person in your class gets an early win. And we teach layering exercises or teaching in progression, starting with easiest up to the fullest expression of the exercise. We teach that in module one. Right. So we as the training team, we're feeling really confident because it's like, yeah, you're passing your tests, you're showing up in tutorial and you're nodding your head and you're doing the thing that we're asking you to do. And then at the end of the module, we give them a feedback survey and a lot of them are like, I'm not feeling confident that I had enough instruction on how to work with people with pain and injury and we should have spent more time talking about it. All of the assessments leading up to this feedback survey says otherwise to us as the training team. They have the skill. They just don't have the confidence to implement it. And then I'm, I, as I was reflecting on it over these last um, this last month, a part of me thinks that they haven't been able to actualize that. They're not yet in a teaching setting, so they can't see for themselves that they actually have that skill and they don't get the feedback from clients to affirm to them, oh, yeah, I got it. It's not that hard. I can manage it. So, I don't know if it's just, you know, I I think it's this interplay of, of stuff that happens inside internally, but then it has to, I really feel like there has to be some experiential component that is involved where you get to test out your own skills. And that's hard to do when you're in an education setting where everything is theoretical and very little application
0: yeah okay i agree with you there and let's we're going to do a little um uh inside breathe uh troubleshooting on uh, why people are not saying they're confident on at the end of module four here so dear listener this is a little insight into how we work so we're just going to have a little work meeting here now so um you know the the visible learning framework that we use which is based on that meta-analysis of over a thousand meta analyses in it, in teaching and learning says that basically the most the most important factor in teaching, in in the most important factor that influences student learning is teach the quality of teaching, and that um, the most important factors within teaching are having clear, transparent learning objectives, sharing those objectives with the students, teaching to the objective. And then, so, and then testing the objective and then confirming to the student that they've achieved the objective. So testing to the objective, showing the student that they can do the thing and then saying, yes, I now officially dub the, you know, Sir Lancelot. I, I officially you know, recognize that you are good at doing the thing. And then after, at the end of the lesson, you go, okay, so we said we're going to learn thing one, thing two, thing three. And I saw you do thing one, thing two, thing three. And now you can all do thing one, thing two and thing three. So are we doing that? Yeah. all right
1: i start getting a little hot right now yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know because i i i think um if we are doing that we wouldn't be getting that same that responsive like i'm not confident so i think maybe we're doing it but we're not doing it uh in a way that's obvious to all of the students that they can do the thing, you know. Maybe they need a different type of confirmatory evidence, or maybe it needs to be shouted a bit louder, or pointed out to them a little bit more obviously. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I would start with that. All right, back to the regularly scheduled podcast. <laughs> um, so I I I think you're right. Uh, I was gonna, I was thinking like the phrase confirmatory evidence, but really just an experience of, Oh, I can actually do this. Um, so yeah. So if somebody says to you like, Oh, I've had this with a search student saying like, Oh, I put neutral on my end of module one survey about, you know, do you know the first 10 mat work exercises? Cause I can remember hundred and roll up and roll over. But then after that, I'm, I'm a bit hazy. I'm like, okay, well, do you know the one leg circle? Yes. Do you know the rolling back? Yes. Do you know the single leg stretch? Yes. Do you know the double leg stretch? Yes. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm like, all right, well, I just listed all the exercises. You know every one of them. So what bit's not clear to you? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I agree with you that, that that confirmatory evidence or the experience is, you know, can be you know, very helpful. So how can somebody doing that who's not in an education setting, someone who's out there teaching Pilates, uh, you know, might have been teaching for a month or a year or a decade and is struggling with feeling like they're not good enough, like feeling like they don't know, you know, things they need to know. How can they, what evidence should they look for or what experience should they look for? that tells them like, yeah, you're good at this, or yeah, actually, no, you probably do need to brush up on your skills a bit in this area.
1: I'm still trying to, I mean, I think I'm still trying to figure it out. I wouldn't be lying if I gave you an answer because it took me, I mean, we've had this conversation, what, a year and a half ago. I spent probably the first five years of my career with people telling me that they love my classes. My classes were booked out. I was being hired out by, you know, corporate offices and just having a lot of work opportunities, and I did not feel like I was doing a good job.
0: Yeah. All right. So I I think that's another key thing that you've highlighted there is, well, when you, I think that's part of the process of overcoming perfectionism is recognizing that your feeling is not reality, right? I feel I'm not doing a good job. But objectively, I am doing a good job, right? My clients keep coming back. I'm getting raised, you know, I'm getting five-star going reviews and all of these things, right? Um, so objectively, I'm doing a good job. And at the same time, I feel I'm not doing a good job. So recognize just like you were saying before about, okay, recognizing the difference between pain and tissue damage, okay? You can have pain without tissue damage. And once you first recognize that, you go, ah, oh, so this client's got pain. That doesn't mean they have an injury, Right, And so we can then experience the discomfort and the sense of like, I'm not good enough. And at the same time, recognize that that's a subjective feeling. It doesn't necessarily represent objective external reality. And so that, I think that's the first step, right? Is you you can, you can go, okay, I feel like I don't know shit about shit here, but my clients keep coming back and, you know, people give me really positive feedback So therefore, I'm going to proceed as if I do know what I'm doing, even though that's not what my subjective experience is.
1: I totally agree with you. I think they're one of the first steps in overcoming perfectionism is remembering that your feelings are not facts. That's a good one. I guess for me, I just don't know when I don't truly know when that transition happened. Maybe it happened when I got hired on as a trainer. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I feel like the, the shift was really gradual for me where I've been able to let go of a lot of things and not feel like I have to show up and be the expert in the room. Or also that Pilates is a performance. That one was easy because I was a professional performer. I was a professional dancer. And I know the difference between being on stage and being in a Pilates studio doing feet and straps. <laughs> like I know that difference. And sometimes I don't say this. I don't. I hope. I hope to God I don't say this out loud. Um, but there are times when I hear other Pilates teachers or I see Pilates clients striving for some kind of perf- perfection in their movement quality, and I think to myself, no one's getting an award for this. Why do you care so much that you know, like everything has to be so perfect? It- but then I also think maybe there is just this feeling of satisfaction to have beautiful, perfect movement. I don't know. I have found myself that being perfect is incredibly stifling and boring, and um, it feels really oppressive. That's me personally.
0: I think, again, there's, this is nuanced. When I think there is a, you know, there is value in self improvement i think that that's a i mean i think that's almost an inherent value right a, aside from okay well when you're better at things you get better results doing those things but i think just inherently be becoming better improving is psychologically satisfying for humans so i think that's an inherent good and i think within pilates i mean my view of my view within Pilates is that yeah, being better at doing a teaser isn't going to give you more physiological benefit. It's not going to give you more health or more vitality or more strength or more flexibility than being okay at teaser. You know, if you do teaser with your toes at the wrong angle or your knees a bit bent or your back too straight or whatever, it's like, doesn't matter, right? You're going to get exactly the same physical... Benefits as you would get if you did it, looking like someone from Cirque du Soleil had been practicing for eighteen years to do that one move. But there, is, I think there's an inherent benefit in, and this is where I, this is what I think distinguishes Pilates from, say, just like fitness exercise, is that the getting into the flow state. Now, this is after you know talking with John Howard Steele about. His experience working with Joseph pilates, and this is his view, and this is kind of the point of his whole book is that that flow state where you you you're not thinking about doing something you you just exist in the moment and you just are the thing that you're doing, and there is no thought that you can distinguish that's different from the physical actions of your body. and I think that flow state you know arises most easily when you have a relatively high level of skill at a thing and the level of challenge is also high, right? So high skill and high challenge. And so when you are good at doing the teaser, but you're trying to make yourself even better at doing the teaser, that is what facilitates the flow state. So I think that, you know, to me that is an argument for trying to improve, but the improvements are really secondary or incidental right like whether you actually get better at the teaser doesn't matter at all it's the striving that actually has that's where the benefit is derived from and so whether your teaser still looks like shit 10 years later doesn't matter at all but the yeah so so i think there is a nuance there and I, i i guess i don't want to encourage people out there to just like just do whatever the fuck doesn't matter. Like there isn't, no, you know, there's no literally no rules. You can just do anything. And I think to a certain extent, if you're moving, it's better than not moving. It doesn't really matter how you move at all. But I think because of what I just said, that's sort kind of instriving in the flow state, which inherently that flow state, I think, results in, you know, reduced anxiety and reduced, you know, better feelings of well being, less mental clutter, all of that stuff that, you know, that good feeling we get after Pilates. I think a lot of that comes from the flow state in my, in my opinion. So I think there's a value in that. Uh, so yeah, I I mean, I guess when, so when my clients ask me like, oh, you know, how should I be doing, am I doing this right? I, if they're a more advanced client, I always try and give them something. Oh, you could reach a bit further with the with the feet or you could straight stretch out your knees a bit longer or whatever. Not because I think there's any any inherent physical benefit to them doing it that way, just because it gives them something to focus on to help facilitate that experience.
1: Well, and I think it's, I mean, yeah, I don't want to come across as advocating that people should just be however they want to be and be wet noodles when they do Pilates. I actually think to myself sometimes I, I have some, Maybe you know better than me, Raf, because you are, um, a movement educator. There are some clients...
0: Hold on, hold on. What the heck are you?
1: (laughs) Well, what I'm saying is you have more letters behind your name than I Uh, do.
0: Uh,
1: more certificates behind your bookshelf than I do (laughs) in this, in this, um, arena. But you know, have you, have you ever had clients where they're just, I don't know how to describe it. And I really do say this with affection, but they're just kind of sloppy movers. They're kind of like wet noodles and they don't care and they just don't care. You know, like no matter what refinement cue you give, they're just going to do whatever the hell they want to do. Yeah.
0: Right. A hundred percent. And I think there are people who think like that and there are people who move like that. And there are people who talk like that. And there are people who, you know, put away the dishes in the kitchen like that. Like when I go to my mom's house, you never know which drawer the knives are in to this week. Sometimes they're in with the saucepans. Sometimes they're, you know, up with the cups and saucers, you know. And sometimes yeah, they're in I the th- cutlery drawer. My
1: mom's, le- I think my mom's like that too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you never can tell, and it wouldn't would never occur to her to put things back in the same place. Um, so, uh, and I, th- I, you know, I think that's kind of mildly infuriating if you live with that person, but it's it's endearing when you just visit once a week. Um, and so, I think that's. You know, I don't think that's a uh a, a, a something that needs to be fixed in people if they move if they move that way and so if that person comes to your class who comes to your class you know just because they want to move their body and they want to improve their physical health and their mental health and they, they don't have any sort of ambitions to be you know graceful or you know good quote good at pilates at the you know the performance of pilates it's like well There's no, we should be in service of their goals, not they in service of our goals, right? They should be choosing the goals. So if if they're not there for those things, we shouldn't foist them upon them. And I think if you just do a teaser that looks like lying down and then sitting up, right? With your legs bent or straight, separated or together, toes pointing up or down, back straight or bent, arms going in some random direction, whatever… It's like, well, you're still gonna get like about ninety percent of the benefit or possibly a hundred percent of the benefit in terms of the physical, you know, strengthening of hip flexors and abdominals and improving your cardiovascular health and probably even the mental health benefits will be fairly substantial just from the just from the physiology, right? Getting more oxygen to your brain and endorphins and all of that stuff. So like, yeah, I I think that's awesome. And I, I've had those clients, I'm sure we all have, who like five years later, they're no better at the exercise. Like they just haven't improved.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it took me a long time. I don't, I don't have this issue anymore, but you know, five years ago, if I had had clients like that, they would have, like, I would have been seething inside, you know, like get out of my Pilates class. You're so sloppy as a mover. And that is what you know Adam calls it teacher-centered care right like it's my priority it's my value that you move beautifully and gracefully and be crispy clean
0: well it's like the parent who who lives vicariously through their child you know must must go to Harvard and you know major in concert pianist violinist and become a right. brain surgeon you know because I never because I never did
1: <laughs> so yeah if the client if that's not what they're interested in I I recognize it now, and I can let it go, but I always, I will not lie, there's always a split second where I'm like, can you just clean it up a little bit? It's hard on my eyes, you know? And then I move on, and then I move on. But yeah, I think that, and I don't honestly know if it was Joseph Pilates, if it was his intention that movements be clean and graceful and towards perfection. A part of me is like, I wonder if he was, because he loved observing animals and animals are inherently effortless and graceful when they move. So part of me is like, maybe he, that was his intention for us was that, um, that, you know, we, our movements are graceful and fluid and effortless and all of that thing. I mean, it's certainly, I feel like it certainly is a value say in like the classical Pilates era where people were coming in as performers and dancers. And that has become kind of just the, the foundation of all movement is like Clean up your movement a bit and have movement quality. And I still think that there are a lot of people who, who feel very strongly about movement quality, making things graceful and clean and nice lines. For you know, either for aesthetic reasons or in their mind, health reasons, safety reasons.
0: Yeah, I I, th- I think you're right. But I think that Joseph, in his in in his books, he talks about. Sp- spontaneous zest and vigor and enjoyment in movement in everyday activities and tasks as being the goal of pilates and that the the graceful movement i see that as a as his view on how to achieve that you know that you know i i I've, you know i think his his real like the goal of pilates and as far as i understand it in joseph's mind was health you know natural health and good health by which he means you know physical vigor and strength and flexibility and the ability to take enjoyment spontaneous enjoyment in using your body for the things that you want to use your body for, whether that's getting in and out of a chair, doing the dishes, playing sports, going hiking, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, all of the the exercises and instructions in Pilates are, are designed to bring us back to that natural state of, you know, vigor and enjoyment in our physical body. And I think he looked at, you know, cats and, and other animals and saw, okay, the cat seems to really enjoy moving, you know, seems to revel in its physicality, you know, wouldn't it be great if humans could have that experience, what it looks like, I think, you know, that cat's experience. And so I, I in my in my view, and I think, you know, this is definitely reading between the lines. Like, I think you could have, we could have a, an amicable disagre- disagreement about this and it would be really subjective. But I think the, the kind of like the the idea of moving gracefully like a cat and everything, I don't see that as a goal of Pilates. I see it as like a emblematic of that enjoyment and, you know, ability that, that Pilates is designed to foster. And it's like, okay, well, if you still look like kind of some kind of weird puppet that's got some of the things crossed over and you move in kind of a herky jerky fashion and whatever, but you have that zest and joy and vigor and, and, Pleasure in moving, I think you're still getting a hundred percent of the benefit and have done it right. you know, I think you're doing it right.
1: No, I don't disagree with you. I have no idea what JP had in mind, but I think that would be a reasonable hypothesis. that is what what it sounds to me like you're saying is his exercises were basically what we would call functional movement, let you know like the the movements to get you back to living better you the anti-rickets campaign, like, <laughs> right? Not being sickly and weak. Um, yeah. I would love to come back as a cat in another life. Can you imagine? Just spending all day sleeping and just kind of people, you know, no, not to people as an introvert. I love cats because they don't want anything of you. They just want to be left alone.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I I, think that's attractive, but I think also cats probably have hidden lives that are hidden from most of us that are full of trials and tribulations, like territory battles with other cats and, you know, unrequited cat love, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, what the emotional life of a cat is like. <laughs> um. So I think, you know, I'm not sure if we've necessarily solved, uh, perfectionism for all time, for all people, but I think what we've said is that it's, it's really, it's an extreme end of the continuum that goes at one end from don't give a shit to at the other end, you know, paralyzed by overthinking or obsessive, you know, Olympic elite athlete level performance, which can equally be physically and mentally unhealthy, but I think is an admirable thing when channeled to that sort of ultimate end of human performance, but that's you know we want to land to know somewhere in the in the middle, not necessarily directly in the middle, but somewhere in that mid range of that, and that 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 kind of healthy striving for excellence is characterized by you know recognizing that there's room for improvement, but seeing that as an opportunity, not a not a threat. And saying like, okay, well, there's things I don't know, but great, I'll go learn them. But in the meantime, I'm still pretty darn good and I'm going to keep doing what I'm I'm doing. And that distinguishing between uh, perfectionism versus actually, no, you kind of do need some skill work in this area. You can look for external validation or disconfirmation. You know, your experience, like, okay, are your clients happy? Are they getting good results? Are you getting good reviews? Do you get offered more classes? You know, all of that stuff, you know, and is that aligned with or out of alignment with what your subjective experience is? So if you feel like you're crap and don't know anything and you're an imposter, but then on the other hand, all of your clients are doing really, really well, it's like, okay, well, you're having these feelings, but that's not, those aren't facts. And then so you, then you can start to behave, even though you have those feelings, you can start to behave as if you don't have those feelings. <laughs> and then your experience, and this has been my experience as well, is that gradually over time, your feelings align with your behaviors, right? You just do the thing often enough as if you feel like you know what you're doing. Eventually, you notice that you feel like you know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's the hope. I think that's the hope. I was thinking about, um, and I don't know if this is true or not, but in my own experience, I feel like sometimes the, the drive for perfection has something to do with shame and the fear of rejection, right? So it's like, I'm not striving for perfection. I'm not striving for excellence because I value excellence. I'm striving for excellence and perfection because I'm afraid that if I don't, I'm gonna get kicked out of the tribe. I'm gonna get rejected. I'm gonna get fired they're going to they're going to see right through me those sorts of things so i think that like if you can start to pay attention to what your feelings are versus what is actually happening and seeing that it doesn't match and being able to try to then start to match your perceptions with reality like hey my clients are showing up they love me they're giving me compliments i'm getting raises you know all the things that confirm that you're actually doing okay, I think that's the best case scenario and that you eventually grow out of that, right? So for me, part of it was just like growing out of that. That was, that was it turned out to be just a natural evolution of my career and my ability to feel confident in myself. And I had lots of also wonderful, fortunate opportunities that fell into my lap. And that's even more confirmation. I think the other part of it too is like if you are feeling really distressed and really debilitated, that would, to me, be a great reason to seek additional yeah. support.
0: You know, comparison is a thief of joy, Is to, to paraphrase what you just said then. And I think the, the modern age of telecommunications, even before social media, but social media has really sort of put a rocket behind it. But even just television and DVDs and VHS from the 80s, Yeah, a hundred years ago, you lived in a, you know, we lived in a relatively small community. Even if you lived in a big city, you only knew a few people in the city because you didn't have social media and televisions. You only knew the people that you physically saw each day. And so you would have known, you know, a couple of hundred people on a reasonable, you know, intimate basis. And so you would have known like in the kind of hierarchy of Who's good at Pilates in that hundred people that you know? It's like you would have known. Oh, I'm the twenty fourth know, out of a hundred in terms of my level of skill. You know, you would have had some sense of okay, the, there are some people that are better than me, and a bunch of people that aren't as good as me at doing the hundred, for example. And so you would have had some sort of realistic sense of where you stood in the in the scheme of things. But now we see. You know, the people who rise to the top on social media and in the in the instruction manuals for Pilates uh, teacher trainings, they're the people who are the best, 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 best. Like, who do you think they, the Pilates instruction education companies ask to be the model in their manual, right? Is it the person who's like not bad at the moves, the person who's pretty good at the moves, or the, the, Cir- the former Cirque du Soleil athlete who's been studying Pilates for 15 years and can just do it? perfectly it's like well, guess of course they choose that person and who do you think rises to this top on the social media algorithm You know, they the we, we're seeing this curated version of the best 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 and so the hundred people you know are all world class right but that that because these are people you quote know they're the ones you see in the plays instruction manuals on so- social media and all the rest of it and so i think we have this very skewed sense of where we sit in them. we go like, oh, I know a hundred people and they're all better than me. (laughs) Right. So I must be the worst. It's like, no, those are the best hundred people in the world probably. Right. Out of not out of 8 billion people. And so, you know, you could still be in the top 1% of 1% and still have those hundred people better than you. So go, go watch a Pilates, like go down to the local church hall on a Sunday afternoon and watch a beginner's Pilates class and reassess where you're at.
1: (laughs) Totally. Well, and the other thing that I was thinking about as you were saying that, you know, I just consider myself to be very average at Pilates and I don't have, I don't have the typical abilities that I value in people who I think are really good at Pilates. Like Haley comes to mind. Like if you, if you've ever seen Haley Hawkins move, she's fucking amazing. She's just.
0: Haley at nine months pregnant is like five times better than me on a good day.
1: 100% she is. She's just like, oh, I'm just, I love her and I'm so envious of her, of her skills. And so, you know, I don't have the client kind of flexibility that she has. I don't have the kind of back extension capabilities that she has. And um, I remember one time, I will never forget this because it has stuck with me forever. Um, Heath, Heath Lander was, he was reviewing one of my tutorials and I kept making a comment about, I, I was either apologizing for my lack of back extension. We were doing backstroke or something, no, breaststroke or something like that. I was doing some kind of exercise and I was just like, I'm not very good at this. Here's here's my version of it, you know, and I but I kept making these comments and Heath was like, "Stop saying that because you are still your ability to do this exercise is still far ahead than the people you're teaching and if you're saying to them you're not very good at it and they're watching you thinking uh, she looks great at it. And then they try to do it and they look nothing like what I'm doing. He was just like, that's really detrimental to your students. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're totally right. That's right. Um, and I, I just will know that, that was such an important feed bit of feedback for me. And it's so true. Like you you are who you are uh, and you should just be really grateful for who you are. And I tell my students all the time because, you know, they really want to try to nail their cues and they want to get all their sequences just right and they want to just be perfect. And I say to my students all the time, imagine if you were the client going into a Pilates class and your teacher was flawless. That's really intimidating. So much better to just be an imperfect, vulnerable human being than a Perfect teacher because that already might give them your your clients the message that they can't there's no room for error there's no room for mistakes or imperfections so so much better to just be your flawed imperfect self and and then everybody can relax you know and do the thing that's that's my advice don't know if i don't know how you know i'd be happy to hear from any listeners that don't agree but for me i feel like that's work that works because that's what i want for me i want to go to class and people are just like yeah don't worry about it You you come as you are do what you can and try to have fun
0: what a great place to leave it
1: good talk good talk
0: after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.